there, and welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome to the 1% Better Podcast. In this episode, I interview Nancy Creedon. So this is one with a little bit of a, a different slant. Nancy is a dog behaviorist and runs a doggy daycare centre in Cork. So Nancy is Ireland's first and leading dog behaviour expert. She is a regular contributor to the RT Today show, radio and print media, and is also an award-winning entrepreneur. And as you'll hear from the show, we recorded the episode in her doggy daycare centre just outside of Cork City, and it was slightly noisy with lots of atmospheric barking in the background. But I think it uh, definitely adds to the uh, authentic nature of our conversation. So Nancy's always been crazy about dogs, um, but didn't necessarily see a possible career in it in her early years. She did a zoology degree and shortly after that set up a dog walking and pet grooming business. A couple of years later, she said, let's take a chance. And she leaped into doggy daycare business, uh, which she set up in 2010 at the very wise old age of 24. From there, things have obviously been going really, really good for her. In 2013, she became Ireland's first certified dog behaviorist. And also in that year, set up Creedence College, where she started teaching and training folks how to become better with animals. In the session, we talk about Nancy's attitude which is very, very much uh, proactive, doesn't hold back, jumps in at the deep end. She shares some lessons she's learned along the way, setting up her business, uh, learning to deal with people, uh, learning on the fly in very much a, a sink or swim scenario. We touch on fear, which Nancy doesn't seem to have any of. And we also talk about branches she's open, decision making, ideas for the future. And generally, she has this very much positive can do anything attitude she talks about her passion for for learning and teaching plans for for world domination and potentially becoming ireland's president one day so you heard it here first towards the end of the show we talk about dogs specifically i wanted to make sure we get some good tips for dog owners and dog lovers out there so nancy shares lots of tips that you can use and apply in your own dog management Uh, she talks about The psychology of dogs goes into details how dogs act and react in stressful events. We talk about the amygdala, which is the the fight or flight piece of your brain, uh, and it's also in dogs. We also talk about that whole myth of seven years for a dog as one year to a human. Go into a bit of detail on that. Overall, we have a really good conversation. At the end, we do some rapid-fire questions to get a little bit more knowledge and learning about Nancy. If you'd like to chat or follow up with Nancy... She has a website, www.nancycreden.ie, a Facebook page, and a Twitter page. She calls them out at the end. I have them in the show notes. I hope you enjoy the episode. It was a good learning for me. I love dogs. I think there's probably something wrong with you if you uh, don't. I uh, hope that's not alienating anyone that's listening. Enjoy the show with, with Nancy Creden. Thank you. 
always mad about dogs. So growing up, I knew that no matter what I do, my future career is going to have something to do with dogs in it. So I'm down in Cork. So zoology in UCC was really the best choice for me to get my degree under me. Mm. Something that's animal related and something that I can just get stuck into. Yeah. And while I was doing zoology, my mum turned around one day and said, why don't you open a creche for puppies? And I was thinking, that's stupid. No one's going to use a creche for puppies. Mm. Until I went online and realized that in America, doggy daycare is a massive industry. Yeah. So I decided second year in UCC that when I finished my degree, I'll get stuck into opening a doggy daycare. Hmm. Unfortunately, when I finished my degree, uh, I took a grooming course and then got ready to start the doggy daycare. But the recession had kicked in. So um, the economy had fallen apart. Um, so I went over to Greece for a few months. And okay. um, then when I came back, I decided, look, I need to do something to do with animals. I'm not great at being an employee because I don't like being told what to do. So I decided to set up a dog walking and pet grooming business. So I did that, the dog walking and pet grooming for, I'd say, about three years. And then I took the leap and opened the doggy daycare. Still in mid-recession, but um, I was 24 and I kind of thought naively, sure, it'll be grand. And opened the doggy daycare then in 2000, uh, 2010. Right. And since then, I just continued to study. So all yeah. I do the whole time is work, study, study, work. Okay. Um, I then went on to do a master's in animal behavior over in Newcastle and then applied to become a certified dog behavior consultant. So in 2013, I became the first certified dog behavior consultant in Ireland. Um, and on the back of that, then I've joined other organizations. And what I'm passionate about now, I guess, from all the studying I've done is teaching. So in 2013, I also opened Credence College, uh, where we offer courses, anything to do with animals. Do you know, if you want to work as a dog trainer or maybe work in a vets or work in a pet shop and so on, we have a wide variety of courses taught by a number of different experts to really help people who want to get into the industry, find a course and get qualified and, and I guess, break into the industry that way. Okay. So it sounds and strikes me that you were very, you had a very clear purpose. Mm -hmm. You had a clear vision. You didn't seem to let certain things or anything really get in your way um business so like you set up your own business at what age were you 24 well i was 21 when i started the dog grooming and dog walking business and then 24 when i took on the big lease so having industrial unit and the, and the full-on grown-up business side of things i guess mm. uh, so going into setting up that first business had you done any business FOSS courses or anything to kind of prepare you a, for a I did a short six-week course with the Enterprise Board, uh, running your own business course. Um, and then I guess I just naively dived into it and realized that running your own business isn't that difficult and isn't that mysterious or, or overwhelming. It's just a case of filling in some forms and then you're a business owner. Mm. So I guess that's something that I try to encourage in my students, that setting up your own business shouldn't be something to be afraid of. You just go in, you just follow the steps and, and you're doing it. Hmm. And do you recall anything that came unexpectedly at you in those early stages uh, that uh, you might have taken massive learnings from or lessons from? Yeah, I guess dealing with people is something that's difficult. So I was a young 24-year-old girl um, and dealing with we got let down a few times by tradespeople or mm. suppliers and, and, and dealing with that kind of thing is was something that I had to grow up quickly and, and I guess man up in some ways insofar as the tough conversations and trying to make sure that people respect you in the industry not that many people didn't but when you come across someone that's like that's a little girl we can kind of take advantage here that's where I suppose I kind of had to develop rapidly insofar as getting a thicker skin standing up for myself and I suppose being more powerful hmm. I think there's a bit of power there all right <laughs> um did you have influences or mentors kind of as you were coming through with the the first few you know uh, businesses and how things started mm -hmm. up 
I guess my family was always very supportive, but I don't come from a business background. So, so insofar as getting support and getting advice, it was just really, I guess, their opinions. I, I kind of initially just threw myself into it and kind of sink or swim situation. It wasn't until a few years down the line that I realized the benefit of getting involved with enterprise boards and getting mentoring and so on that way. Um, and I guess inspiration of getting into stuck into the business, um, I guess just believing in myself. <laughs> that sounds really, really cocky, but I guess I was my own inspiration insofar as I believed I could do it, told mm-hmm. myself I could do it, did it, it worked, and said, okay. And, and I guess it was very empowering because I'm not afraid of anything. You know, I know if I wanted to start a TV show or I wanted to run for president, sure, I can do it. Just do it and it'll be grand in the end, you know? Yeah, I can get it. So, so learning, so any kind of major mistakes that you might have made during... I keep making mistakes. So <laughs> so that's something that I, I guess I'm not learning from them. Um, major mistakes. So I guess two and a half years into the business, um, I, got, I got wind that somebody might be opening a competing business um, maybe about 20 minute drive away. Okay. So because again, I'm stubborn and, and, and foolish and, and do things without thinking about it, I decided I'm going to go open a second branch in that area so that my reputation and my brand will make sure that I guess we don't have any major competition. And it turned out that person wasn't opening a competing business, so I just opened a second branch for no reason. And we ended up somewhat stealing our own customers from one branch to the other. Okay. So I closed that after six months, but I wouldn't consider it a mistake because if I'd never done it, I wouldn't know if a second premises would work or not. Yeah. It was a learning experience because now I know that, look, just keep the, own, the central business as big and, and, and as successful as you can, and that will bring in the, the customers instead of trying to open second and third and fourth branches. I guess I learned to stop overstretching myself as well. I just haven't implemented what I've learned, but but having the second premises definitely showed me that look, stick with what you know, stick with what you can do well and just let that succeed instead of trying to stretch yourself too thin. Okay. You sounded, or you said there, you made that kind of decision quite rapidly to mm-hmm. set that up. How do you come to decision making now or has that changed? Oh, <laughs> no. It ha- well, I guess it has changed insofar as I have a lot more people around me now that kind of help to rein me in a little bit. Okay. So when I when I get these notions and these ideas to do things, um, I do take, I guess, advice from friends and from family and so on. And, and there's a few key people that I will actually listen to their advice. Um, so if they're going to say, look, it's not, a, it's not a good idea yet or whatever the case may be, I'll take that on board. What I do as well a lot of the time is um, I keep ideas. So there's a lot of things that I want to branch out to kids books dvds and so on but um what i have is a folder for when i have time mm. and that when i have time folder is pretty full but it means that i don't feel like i've given up on the idea and i don't feel like i've turned my back on it i've just put it aside until the time is right i guess okay cool so j- just maybe t- talking a little bit even before college so when you were growing up mm-hmm. you know going through school um was was it just a passion for animals or dogs at that stage or did you when did you start plotting that yeah this plotting. is the next step <laughs> um i plotting guess world domination plotting world domination i mean i do remember when i was about 12 i decided that i do want to be president one day okay. um, then i realized so this, is this the first Irish. time you've said that on an interview no, before, first no. time I said an interview okay, but okay. Um, no that's I, that's not anymore in the to-do box um but no so I when i was know. growing up i guess I would have spent a lot of time minding dogs for people, you know, minding families, dogs, friends, dogs, and so on. Um, and I guess when I went into college initially, so while growing up, it was just a pipe dream of, you know, 
when I'm a grown up, I'll work with animals. Initially, it was when I'm a grown up, I'll be a vet. Right. And my sister, who is my sheep, was she's going to be my vet nurse. Um, okay. And then I guess, like, I decided to be a vegetarian when I was 11 because, again, I'm stubborn and I decided that I'm not going to save animals' lives and then go home and eat them. Okay. But the clear path of what I was going to do didn't really, I suppose, establish itself until my mum came to me with the idea of a puppy crash mm. um, and until I actually researched it and realised that that's where I can have a future. You know, it's a nice future. It's working with happy, healthy animals as opposed to in the veterinary industry where you obviously have a lot of sadness. Yeah. Um, and again, put my head down, decided that's the path I'm going to go. Spent a couple of years while in college thinking about it, plotting it, you know, doing my research so that when I was ready to launch, I knew what I was doing. Okay. So during college... Was there modules uh, around the, the psychology of, no. of animals? No. no. That, that wasn't. We had a great time in college. I don't know what I learned that I've actually retained and that's been applicable. I mean, we went for a week to Portugal, so okay. it was a good time. Um, but no, I As guess... As part of the course? Yeah, it was okay. brilliant. Um, like went looking course, at seahorses and stuff. But I guess from what I'm doing now, the zoology degree gave me the ability to, I guess, complete projects and get the head down and get work done. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't gain much knowledge that I still use today. Um, but... In my industry, um, so when I applied to be a certified dog behaviour consultant, part of it was a requirement for a certain amount of qualifications and having um, a degree level in an animal industry was relevant. So whether it was veterinary nursing or zoology or veterinary and so on, you needed to have your foundation degree in Mm. something relative to the industry. And I guess I did would have built a foundation understanding of how animals work, you know, how they function. Um, But behaviour wasn't a massive part of it and neither was, I guess, canine species or dogs specifically but it built me as a person it built me as my ability to do projects and then obviously to go on and do the masters i yeah. needed that degree behind me as well so definitely wasn't wasted time um and it was enjoyable time but but yeah but then going into the behavioral masters so even talking a bit about the intricacies of what you learned in that or around the psychology can you talk kind of even at a high level of some of the stuff you I take guess away from that educationally i would have built my knowledge in i guess dog behavior on lots of mini courses over the last few years and then dvds so there's a lot of industry experts who are based in america um and who host a lot of seminars and training courses and so on and fortunately a lot of them are recorded so then i could sit at home in my pajamas and i i calculated recently the with all the dvds on dog behavior that i have they add up to something like four and a half grand worth of dvds so that's where i spent the last few years learning i guess predominantly through through attending seminars as well i mean i've been around europe going to different seminars watching the dvds and and i guess researching a lot so i mean at this stage because i'm lucky because my industry has so many leading experts and leading scientific experts the information is there for me. So I guess from from a dog psychology point of view and from understanding point of view, I often say to people that we need to stop dehumanizing dogs because they very much neurologically and emotionally and cognitively function very similar to like a three-year-old child. Obviously, they're still dogs and they still have doggy instincts and, and things that they like to do that's very dog. But from a behavior point of view, a lot of the knowledge that I've learned over the years is how to unlearn all the incorrect information that's been drilled to us for years mm. and start learning about how the brain works and how the endocrine system works and how the neurological system works and how dogs work that way. Okay. Interesting. So so what would a typical day look like for you now? 
Typical day. Is there such a thing? There's no such thing as a typical day because, I mean, between running businesses, doing behavior consultations, teaching, doing TV work, all that kind of stuff, everything's really um, varied, which is exciting, which is fun. Um, predominantly, I suppose, on a weekly basis, there'll be some sort of training that goes on, training classes in the evenings. I'll do consultations in the afternoon and then running the businesses then as well. So I guess meetings with the team and just making sure that everything's functioning, making sure the customers are happy. Uh, and then where I can doing a bit of upskilling. I mean, next Friday, this Friday, I'm going over to, the, to Manchester for the day, just flying in and out for the day to do um, a expert witness seminar. So okay. I'll be attending to learn more about, I guess, providing expert witness in court. I've done that before. Um, given dog behavior advice done temperament tests for dogs for dogs that have been in court not for dogs who've been in court yeah. but for people who've been in court because that's their the dogs next, that's the future. have been yeah. <laughs> it may be the future um, but basically I went in representing that dog insofar as I had done a temperament test on the dog figured out you know why that dog may have bitten on that day determined whether or not I perceived that dog as an ongoing threat and then gave my evidence to the judge so the seminar that I'm going to this Friday is all about learning more about how to liaise with, with solicitors, how to conduct yourself in court, how to represent, you know, temperament tests correctly and so on. So I mm. guess it's a real varied week. Is that a, a relatively new thing where you go in and do... Uh that sort of temperament bringing that into yeah, court into I court. guess yeah it will be relatively new and the reason that it's probably relatively new is up until now we haven't really had I mean I was the first certified dog behaviour consultant in Ireland we wouldn't have had people with degrees or masters behind them mm. so anyone could have stood up in court and said I know stuff about dogs this is my opinion yeah, whereas yeah. now when I went to court I mean I was giving the judge references and mm. I was able to say that you know leading experts or universities have agreed with this and so on so because it's becoming more of a science and more of a respected science yeah. it does seem to be um between even between different tv stations and, and judges and, and and the general industry seems to be getting a lot more respected than it would have done in the past it's less magical and mythical and and, and gimmicky and it's now becoming more of a respected science okay so what, what what excites you most in uh, in your job or in, in this? I learning. It, learning yeah. is a luxury. So time is short and getting to sit down. I mean, I have, a, I have a, a stack of DVDs at home that are new ones that I haven't gotten to watch yet. So I love learning. Um, and then I love teaching. So being able to then teach. I mean, I just love talking about dogs. So, so I mean, no matter where I am, someone will ask me a question and off I go. But I guess at this stage when I do teach, I love it because I have a room full of students that want to gobble up the information. And then it's really satisfying because those students will then go out in a year's time and be able to start helping other dogs and clearing out all the myths and all the misunderstandings about dogs and focus on on the industry as more of a science and being able to get the right information out there so learning and teaching is is the enjoyable part the most enjoyable part of my job learning and obviously then yeah the teaching sharing that from an advice perspective as you were coming through your journey and i know we talked about mentors earlier when you were growing up but as you became the dog behavioralist and you know have a, a reputation have you been able to lean off other people in that world that have given yeah, you advice big time and that's what's really lovely about this industry as well is we're all in it for the dogs you know so mm. um at the moment i'm fostering a dog called loco who i named loco because he's crazy yeah. he came from a difficult background he's been locked up all his life and he developed what's called a stereotypy so it's an ocd behavior in animals so when you see okay. elephants head bobbing or a cheetah's pacing in the zoo and stuff it's a coping mechanism for animals that have been in basically sensory deprivation so because poor Loco was locked up for the vast majority of his early months while all his 
brain development was going on and while he should have been mm. exposed to lots of different situations he developed um, a stereotype of tail chasing so he was tail chasing obsessively to the level that he'd eaten all of the hair off his tail and it scarred from top to bottom mm. so when I I only went to call to the rescue centre, got on to me and said, look, we have this dog. He's not doing well. Can you advise? So because I was busy, I agreed to go up and just meet with the dog and be able to then tell them what to do. So they mm. can then, you know, email me or get advice via, via the phone and so on. But of course, once I went up to meet the poor boy, I couldn't leave without him. So I took him home with me. But because it was such an extreme stereotype, and I've worked with tail chasers before, but never this bad, um, I was at a loss of what to do. What's the best option here? So I called on one guy, Brian, who's a behaviorist in the UK, who I met on my master's degree. Mm. And he had recently worked with a similar case where the dog had to have the tail amputated. um, And I got advice from him. Then because I'm in the organizations, um, I'm in the APBC in the UK, which is Animal animal professional behavior consultation organization Mm -hmm. they then we've got private groups there so they were able to give advice and and even just to give support and and kind of say look have you tried this have you tried that um and then in a similar case there's a lady uh, a lady she's like the world's best person karen overall is she's got phds coming out of her eyeballs she's a certified behaviorist and vet in the uk in in the states and i've emailed her in the past as well about a similar case where and she's then obviously more than happy to give advice and so on so i think in this industry because because we all get in it to try and help we always want to help you know even if it's not our case we want to be able to say look have you tried this or i worked with a case like that or try this medication or try this supplement and so on so it's definitely an industry where people love to support each other and i then where i can love to support people as well Hmm. so maybe diving into a little bit about dogs themselves right i'll come back to a few more rapid fire questions at the end but uh you mentioned there dogs have ocd Mm -hmm. or or what's the kind of most common ailments or, or kind of the issues common, you might see the thing that i see practically with every single dog and i feel like a broken record but in this country a lot the vast majority well in my opinion it seems like the vast majority of dogs are chronically stressed okay so what like happens every with human dogs, in ireland as well yeah, so, yeah. I suppose, fair enough. <laughs> um, but what happens with dogs is when you see a dog whether it's your own dog or you see a dog in the street and they have a little explosion i call it where they start barking frantically mm. um or you ring the doorbell and they're barking frantically at the doorbell or they're barking frantically at another dog or barking frantically at cars yeah a lot of time a lot of time it can be built on frustration or it can be built on fear uh, for multiple different reasons but when they have that little explosion what happens internally is their cortisol levels skyrocket so their stress hormone just elevates rapidly um initially they get a rush of adrenaline within milliseconds so they they get the fun and the buzz out of the adrenaline Mm. and then around 20 minutes later the body is flooded with cortisol now for us to function and for us to recover after a stressful event we can talk it out. We can say, look, I had a bad day in work, but I'm not yeah. going to see the boss till Monday. It'll be fine. I'll forget about it till Monday. Dogs can't logically process that. So when they get that rush of cortisol and the body's filled with cortisol and they're feeling on edge, for their bodies to, to I guess, hormonally recover from that explosion, it takes up to a week. Wow. Now, the problem is the vast majority of our dogs out there are going ballistic every time the doorbell goes, every time someone passes the window, every walk they go on. And because of that, their cortisol levels can't dissipate. So they're chronically stressed. Their cortisol levels are chronically hmm. elevated. What that does then is it basically makes it more difficult for that dog to learn. So the proteins required to make new genetic coding in your brain for learning, they Mm. don't function when cortisol levels are elevated. Mm. So these dogs can't learn because they're chronically stressed, because their cortisol levels are elevated, their body is saying, we're in a war zone, we're on edge. So the next time the doorbell goes, they're going to go ballistic again. And then because the cortisol levels are risen again, they're on edge again. So the problem is because they're chronically stressed, 
they go into they get these elevations of stress quicker because their body is saying be alert be alert so generally with these dogs my first um, the first treatment is we give them a three day spa break I call it where we basically do everything we can to dissipate the cortisol level so massage in dogs is really good for dissipating cortisol and we've got some videos that I sent to clients for that Closing curtains if they're barking at the window, is taking them and no walks if their bark is on their walks and doing everything you can to just break down that cortisol level for at least three days. So again, that dog can start to recover and okay. then ideally be in a better position for learning. Wow. One of the things I'm fascinated about in the brain is in the human brain is the the amygdala, you know, the yeah. the fight or flight. Uh, maybe stupid question: Do dogs have an amygdala yeah, as well? Yeah, as yeah, they do? and that's where um, I guess a lot of their emotional states come from. And the thing with the amygdala is once you put information in there it's very hard to break it so when you've got dogs that have had a terrible experience maybe they've been locked up or maybe they've been badly treated when that neurological pathway I guess is developed in the brain in the amygdala that okay dogs equal monsters that are trying to kill me it can be very 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 difficult to break that association because of course the amygdala is there for survival you yeah, know yeah. if you stick your head in a lion's mouth you're going to die yeah, so yeah, don't yeah. do it um, so yeah so no their brains are pretty much identical to ours except their olfactory section of their brain is bigger because obviously they're smelling a little bit more than us um but no they're very similar to us very similar and then you said earlier about i suppose the early months of a dog's life are equivalent to the early years maybe of a human's life you know that whole seven years to a dog yeah the seven years to one year is not yeah it's not an exact math like that break the break the code on that exactly so by the time the dog is reaches sexual maturity so let's say by the time that dog is 9, 10, 11 months, they're equivalent then to maybe a 16, 17, 18-year-old person. And the thing is, right, and this is the same with humans as well, when puppies are developing and when their brains are developing pre-sexual maturity or pre-neutering, their brains are mushy. You know, they'll learn things quickly, they'll pick up ideas, they'll form associations easily and fluidly. Once they go through sexual maturity, the synaptic neurons in their brain, prune, in their brain prunes. <laughs> and so basically all the bits of the brain that hasn't been used to date are recycled. So all the neurons that haven't been, I guess, forming neurological pathways are recycled back into the brain. So if you have a dog that... Do you know, maybe you adopt a dog at one and a half or you've had a puppy and he's just sitting at the back for the first year of his life. It is going to be much more difficult to teach that dog new tricks because their brain isn't as, I guess, as fluid as it would have been when mm. they were younger. Okay, cool. Good and also that. what happens there as well is bad habits. People often think that, oh, the puppy's chewing everything, but when he's an adult, he'll stop. Yes, he will stop if he's just chewing because of teething problems. But if he's enjoying chewing and he's learning that chewing on shoes is a fun thing to do, if he develops that habit in his teenage years, which is basically, let's just say, between five and seven or five and nine months, Mm -hmm. then it's very difficult for him to break that habit because his brain is developed to enjoy chewing shoes. So if someone starts smoking when they're 15, it's likely they'll keep smoking. If your dog starts smoking when they're six months old, it's likely they'll keep smoking too. Yeah, I haven't seen too many smoking dogs, but you never you never know. You may have you seen them seen coming them in here. haven't seen them because they're not at six months. So if they don't smoke at six months, they'll probably never smoke. Cool. So I think we're giving away a couple of good tips or learnings that people can apply or, or help with their own kind of management of their dogs. Anything else that you commonly see that you could give us from an advice perspective that might be you know little known fact but uh useful for for somebody listening yeah i guess um going back to what i was saying earlier about the myth that dogs are pack animals what that has done is it has made it okay to in my opinion mistreat dogs Mm. so if you stop at the traffic lights or if you're in the car and you see someone who's going to cross the road they're with a dog you'll probably see them jerking the dog by the lead Mm. if they're with a three-year-old child they wouldn't be grabbing that dog about that child by the cuff 
So what happens a lot of the time is because we misconceive dogs and we think that they're pack animals, we think that they need to be treated in a different way, that they need to be dominated or that you need to, I guess, make sure that they're submissive and that they're bottom of the rank in the family. None of that is true. And what it does is... I see a lot of people that come in that will will physically hit their dog or will punish their dog, will tell off their dog quite a lot, whereas they wouldn't be doing that with a child. And that can then lead to a dog that develops fear-related issues. Some dogs who won't tolerate being told off quite often may develop aggression. Um, and what happens is when we don't treat them like we treat children we get behavior problems which we're surprised about whereas if we're raising that dog you know rewarding them when they're being good managing situations so that they can't get themselves in trouble you know we see kids on on harnesses all the time toddlers going around in harnesses because you're using management so the the child doesn't run out in front of traffic we need to do the same with our dogs and what happens is when people use punishment with their dogs and do anything that's going to upset or frighten their dogs they first of all they don't understand how punishment works with dogs and secondly they're just showing that dog that you're scary so what I generally encourage owners to do is have a word to tell the dog that what they're doing isn't appropriate. It needs to be a word that's not something that's used regularly. So, I mean, the word no is used a lot in conversation. But a sound like ah uh-uh, or, or no, no is something that, okay, that's a distinct sound. What we need to do then is communicate with the dog efficiently. So often people come home from work and the dog has done some damage and they get cross with the dog. That's pointless. With dogs, they've done studies on finding out how how far away and a consequence has to be to the behavior for the dog to form the association and when there's no distraction going on you're if the consequence so if the dog sits and they get a treat that instant there's a hundred percent association that that dog now knows that okay i got a treat for putting my bum on the floor mm-hmm. if the dog sits and one second later you give them a treat there's 60 percent association that i got a treat i think for putting my bum on the floor if the dog sits and you give them a treat two seconds later there's only 20 percent association where the dog thinks perhaps they may have gotten a treat for putting the bum on the floor they put the bum on the floor and three seconds later you give them a treat there's no association so the problem is people come home and they tell off their dogs or your dog's been chewing in a shoe for 25 minutes and then you come in and get cross to them there's no association the only association there is that the instant mom came in she was horrible so I'm learning now that okay mom coming through the door can be a monster or mom coming through the door can be nice mm. if your dog starts doing something inappropriate so if you've got a puppy and you know that they are starting to develop a habit of maybe chewing on shoes what you want to do is give the dog constant feedback. So as they approach the shoe and they're not chewing the shoe, you're telling them, good dog, good dog, good dog, good dog. The instant they put their teeth on the shoes, you're going to say, ah, 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 interrupt the dog. The instant they stop chewing the shoes, good dog, good dog, good dog again. So you're kind of giving them double feedback that as soon as you're not chewing the shoes, I'm happy with you again. So the dog learns, okay, every time I chew the shoe, mom gets upset. Every time I stop chewing the shoe, mom is happy. And that way then you're giving the dog clear feedback. But coming home later and shouting at the dog for something they did an hour ago is pointless. It's unfair and it just makes the dog afraid of people. And how quickly can a dog typically learn a behavior or or break it like humans, you know, the whole 21 days or X amount of weeks to stop smoking? (laughs) I don't think there's any studies that have been done on that. Um, And I guess it depends on how strong that neurological association is. If that dog has been repeating that behavior Mm. for a long time, and especially if they formed it during puppyhood, it is going to be very, very difficult to change that behavior. However, a lot of the time when I'm working with clients, the goal is to use alternative tools insofar as setting up situations where the dog can't practice the behavior so that then we can eliminate it without fully breaking so for example if a dog 
goes face to face with another dog and is reactive and a fight breaks out and if that happens regularly with that client then you're going to look at alternative options so maybe looking for locations where they can walk the dog and the dog can tolerate other dogs at maybe 50 feet distance and then maybe going to 45 feet but I'll always warn the client that if it is something that's a really hardwired behavior we need to have realistic expectations. If someone comes to your house and says, I can fix your dog in an hour, walk away because... Yeah, can't hypnotize dogs. Exactly, yeah, yeah. no. And I've heard of professionals, pseudo-professionals who right. claim to be able to hypnotize dogs um, and, and fix dogs in, in an hour. It's not doable. You can't fix a, a, you know, a person with serious issues in an yeah. hour. You can't do that with a dog either. But you can very much... What I like to do is explain to the owner how the dog has developed these behaviors, why they're doing it, so that they can understand how important it is to, to manage it and give that dog a break from stress or to ensure that the dog doesn't get to re- repeat the behavior so that we can start to break down that, that association. Cool. From your experience, are certain types of dogs more intelligent than others or is that another another myth, myth? it's another myth right. um because again we're not going to say a certain race is more intelligent than yeah, yeah no. you know and, and there is very much the assumption that breeds are certain breeds are more dangerous than other breeds or certain dogs are you know more stupid than other breeds and so on mm. it's very much not the case again you put a label on something you put mm. i mean they've done experiments at schools where they tell teachers that you've got the the slow class and you've yeah, got the yeah. smart class I've and we see the them. outcomes there yeah. and it's highly um it's very similar to that in dogs okay. so people make assumptions of certain breeds um what i will say is that what I like to call hindbrain dogs are a lot less easy to manage, a lot less um, well behaved, if that makes sense. There's a lot more problem with hindbrain dogs. And right. what I mean by a hindbrain dog is when dogs are running, making decisions on impulse, emotion, um, and reactivity, they're using the limbic system, the, the back part of their brain. Yeah. Whereas when they're thinking intelligently and making decisions based on learning and experience and so on, they're using the front part of their brain. Yeah. So when they're using the cerebral cortex, they're running off things that they have learned and they're thinking about behaviors. So we have so many dogs in Ireland that I call hindbrain dogs because they're just running on instinct, doing what they feel like doing, doing mm. doggy things nonstop without any brain development, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. So a lot of the time, um, those dogs will, will become problem dogs. I always say to people that a dog isn't dangerous by its breed. A dog is dangerous by, when it's out of control. Uh, and another thing that happens with dogs um, and with people again, and with people, this gets people off murder, is when dogs start panicking and their body goes into the sympathetic nervous system dominant state, they're then, it's similar to the it's fight or flight state, but again, it can be, they can go into that state for fun reasons, like people in a mosh pit. Um, three things happen, and these three things happen get that happen get policemen off murder in America when they use fatal force in the line of duty. Right. So when your body's in a sympathetic nervous system, you're motor control is inhibited so you might pull that trigger without meaning to Mm. that dog may squeeze its teeth onto something without meaning to without thinking Mm. it's putting that much pressure on it the other thing that happens is the prefrontal cortex doesn't work so when you're panicking you can't think straight I was out of my mind with worry I was so cross I couldn't think straight Mm. same with dogs so that dog has learned that you don't bite children but because he's panicking and he's wound up to 90 Mm. all of a sudden he's forgotten that I don't bite little Timmy and Mm. the third thing that happens when your body's in the sympathetic nervous system dominant state is that your threat interpretation is reduced so the policeman comes, a child comes around the corner, the policeman thinks it's a threat and they get shot. The mm. dog is, you know, highly reactive or wound up or barking its head off. You go to grab it by the collar and it bites your hand because, again, its threat interpretation is reduced. Yeah. So these are the kind of things that people need to understand about dogs so that they know that, okay, if my dog is wound up to 90, tearing around the garden, don't let the children go out there right now. Don't bring dogs to birthday parties. If your dog is chronically stressed, don't expect them to be able to recover without getting professional help. Um, and I guess just start treating your dogs like you would treat a small child. Yeah. So they ha- so essentially, you know, studies on humans, IQ and EQ... 
similar with dogs they'll have a certain set of IQs and then their yeah. EQs can be developed um, I guess obviously their brains can be developed so a lot of work with the puppy will lead to better dogs who's able to learn better and so on there are somewhat um frivolous IQ tests for dogs where there's things that you do where dogs are the only non-primate species that will read facial expressions so part of the IQ test for dogs is that you stand five feet away from your dog and you smile at them and if they wag their tail and approach you then they're more intelligent than if they didn't um I don't know how robust these studies are and it's something that again I guess same with IQ do you know what's that is it Einstein that says that if you judge people's genius by their ability to climb a tree that kind of thing so it mm. depends on, on the dog it depends on certain situations some dogs may be much better at tracking scents other dogs may be much better at I don't know hearing sounds and so on but in my books they're all pretty clever cool do you have a favourite type of dog is that a it's like having a favourite <laughs> child or something you can't well, I've say got, I've got too many dogs myself um, I have a weakness for German Shepherd so the guy I'm fostering at the moment is a German Shepherd and I'm telling myself I'm willing myself to make sure that I find him a home at the end of the fostering session okay. um but yeah, I like big dogs. I like big dogs that um, are a bit of fun. I, I do like the crazy guys as well, which is good for my line of work. Um, but yeah, no, I like dogs that are full of personality. And I guess that's the problem when people start using a lot of punishment and a lot of kind of military style training with dogs. Right. They shut down and they learn just not to express themselves because if they express the wrong thing, they may get punished mm. whereas when you train dogs with positive reinforcement you get dogs that are that bit more exuberant love to have a go with things and just love to enjoy life so i like the um the ones that live their lives to the full i'd be a pug lover now so really? i think they're on the complete opposite end See, of the spectrum yeah and what they? my problem is is any breed that i look at and think okay vets 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 i just have my heart goes out to them and it's just a case that I just think the day you were born, you struggle to breathe, you know, or yeah. basset hounds and, and, and the dogs that the way that they've been bred has led to, I guess, skeletal issues and, uh, and so on. Um, but no, they're great crack. There's a pug Stewie that comes to daycare and uh, he's my buddy. He used to stay with me when they go on holidays. And my sister thought one day he's trying to kill me because he got a little bit wound up and he was running around snorting snot everywhere. Uh, he's just having fun, like, but because she couldn't understand him because he's... Um, He's a little bit crazy too. She thought he was out to get me, but no, he's good fun. Cool. Um, okay, so that was really some really good intro or information around around dogs. I'm going to rein it in just a few more questions about you and maybe kind of rapid fire things that people can uh, take away. Work-life balance. What does that Terrible. mean to you? I mean, it's something in my box of things that I need to do. Work-life balance is a disaster, but it's something that I'm consciously trying to work on. And again, the problem is I love my work. So I realized not too long ago that I was really excited about a few work projects that I wanted to get stuck into. And a friend of mine said, look, you need to start putting that passion and excitement into your life. Go out and do stuff. And I, and I do. I consciously try to make sure that I get off time as well and go to Cork City matches and things like oh. that. But um, the, like Cork City matches are great for your head because it's... you forget about dogs for 90 minutes. Um, but yeah, no, it's something that it's a project that I'm working on, better work-life balance. Cool. I interviewed Lisa Fallon from Cork City yesterday. She's the video analyst and All coach. Right. Uh, yeah. uh, really good, wow, good story. Wow, that's an interesting job. Yeah, she does it for Cork City and Northern Ireland football teams now. Wow. So it's uh, And she's the business development so manager. So she just breaks it down and says, look at the way you pass the Looks ball there. Looks at it like she's passionate about football. And I oh, ask wow. her the same question and... Uh, kind of the same answer in that she loves what she does uh, so it's not like work yeah, as exactly, such so yeah. I'm not sure which will be out first this one or, or, or Lisa's but that was uh, it's funny that the same answer is similar yeah. uh, and, and, and Cork City links again yeah. there so that's <laughs> all good City. what would you say your good habits are and your 
bad habits. Start with the good ones. The, definitely the best thing that has kept me alive is the fact that I can just take stress. I can just deal with it. Yeah, it's grand. We'll figure it out. Don't worry, guys. You'll be fine. Mm. So I have a really good positive attitude, which um, I'm delighted I have because it means that when things go wrong, when there's a whole lot of stuff to deal with, I can very much shake it off, deal with it. If I can't deal with it, put it away and deal with it tomorrow. And then just try my best to not let that bring me down in any way, shape or form. Because I guess when you're running your own business, when you're dealing with a life like I'm dealing with, you could let things swamp you and you wouldn't last that long. So so I guess the fact that I'm running seven years now means that I've kind of naturally unable to shake things off but also I've learned that there's absolutely no point in stressing no mm. point in worrying no point in fretting about things that you can't deal with if you can deal with it deal with it if you can't shake it off mm. and I suppose in those seven years so many is there still new things coming at you that yes. you didn't expect or that you're kind of having to learn I guess quickly? one of the big things one of the big learning curves is um, somewhat dealing with staff and being an employer because that's something that I never wanted to do I was never someone that was passionate about managing people or developing teams or, or dealing with the day-to-day running of a business mm. um, from a staff point of view. Now, I've been incredibly lucky and I've always had great staff and great positive attitudes and so on. Um, it's something that I really don't enjoy, the whole sitting down and, and, and dealing with maybe staff stuff. reviews and so on as well. Um, and it's something that what I do when I have those situations is I just put on a different hat and mm. I just say to myself, this is work, this is work, this is work, this is work. Because if I start letting it feel like this is Nancy sitting down and talking to a girl yeah. that about a mistake she made last week it would yeah, kill me yeah. whereas if when I tell myself it's work it's work it's work I I guess it feels like acting a little bit and I mm. don't let it become an emotional thing and I don't let it become something that um that people can get wounded about or that people can feel oh let down by or, or I guess that it's a personal thing so I yeah. sit down with them and say lads just this is work you know yeah. we're great people we get on great together we need to talk about what happened on Tuesday mm. um, look we know the protocol what we need is from now on do you have any feedback on how it can be done differently yeah perfect okay great done happy days mm. and, and, and it wasn't something that I guess affected anyone emotionally but yeah no that's something that practice is making me better at but it's still every single time I have to deal with a staff issue it's very much it's, it's something I have to grind out and it's not natural but I'm getting there yeah gets gets easier over time yeah I asked you the good habits any habits that you would like to change yourself as a behavioralist changer do change you, my own behavior your own behaviors, yeah. <laughs> give myself a three day spa break and yeah, that'll be the first thing, a good thing um, I guess just um, learning to say no learning to say no I mean loco I mean I adore him, the foster dog I have at the moment but I mean I went and took him don't learn to say no for poor loco poor that's loco, a really no. bad sign. well I have to say no to adopting him because okay. I have too many dogs but I took in loco three days before I was in moving premises and, and literally I didn't have time to sleep in those first couple of weeks so learning to realise my limits uh, insofar as commitments because I'm a great one for saying I can fix that I can help that I'll, I'll give you a hand and then the reality is that's taking out of any time that may be there for me to put my feet up and so on. So my bad habit is, I guess, not respecting my own time enough. So it's something that I'm consciously trying to work on and, and I get better for maybe a couple of weeks and then I get swamped again. So it's a work in progress. Hmm. How do you think you could improve that? What What are the kind of things you would use yourself, your tools to to hmm. give your balance, like the, the idea of this kind of life wheel or nine box yeah. grid you can put everything into? I don't know because if I haven't done it by now I never will I guess getting better at scheduling things 
the only problem is when I schedule time off I'll often cancel it because something comes up work wise um, I guess more habits I, mean, I tried to get myself a season ticket for the Cork City matches thinking that that'll make sure I show up at all the home games um, but that didn't work because no one would get a season ticket with me um, so yeah I just need to learn from the fact that I understand how the dogs work and how bad it is for the dogs to be chronically stressed I need to make sure that I don't put myself in the same boat then again, I don't get stressed when I get overworked. I just don't get time to sleep. Yeah. So um, I don't know. You tell me. How can I fix myself? Well, I could, I could tell you, but I'd have to. I'd have to go into a different mode myself. <laughs> like, but maybe you know, might be worth contemplating after this. Anyway, something might might come to you. Do you have a a morning routine? Sometimes people have a very rigid morning routine that they get. No, going I guess on. I guess one of the big things about me is I love change and adventure. I get bored quite quickly okay. so I have no routines um, I change things up a lot I try to say okay from now on I'm going to start doing this and then three days later I've actually forgotten that I was meant to start doing this okay. so no morning routines other than looking after the dogs I guess that's number one every morning coffee in the morning don't drink coffee oh wow which is probably a good thing but I tried I tried to teach myself to drink coffee but when I went into fifth year in school I we had moved house so I had a bit of a trek to school so I decided I'm going to start drinking coffee now so made myself a cup of coffee I think I probably put five spoons of sugar in it and took a sup and just sped it back out so oh, coffee's not for me my dad still offers me a cup of coffee every time I see him and I'm like dad I'm 31 never drunk a cup of coffee in my life wow. but he doesn't listen how do you set goals and targets and uh, you are looking going to look forward but how, how do you actually achieve your goals mm. by after setting them I guess the big part is the end goal so I start off with exactly what I want and then the, the hard part is getting there insofar as I need to get better at setting smarter goals and making sure that I know what I'm doing and I know how to make sure I get there and so on. Um, in reality, again, because I'm a bit stubborn and because I'm bad for the old making plans, I say what I want to do and then because I've put it out there and I've made it a fact that Nancy's opening a college or Nancy's going to be a behaviorist, um, I just carve it out. I just, I'm a hard worker. Like I'll give myself credit for that. Um, and I guess lists, everybody likes to make lists. So like I'll make a list of my emails and I'm like, this is what we need to do to get there. Obviously I have a great team around me so everyone's supportive and, and whatever we need to do. i have gotten much, much better at delegating. Um, and then it's a case of when we get there, we get there. So if it's a lot of the goals that I would have will be finite goals. And so far as a big project that we've just achieved is to get the college uh, QQI accredited, which mm. was FeeTech is yeah. now QQI. Um, and we just got approved as providers after two hard years. Um, we got approved um, just after January. So that was a massive one. And again, the whole team came together. So it's a case of that's the plan. How do we get there? Follow the procedure and, and it works. Cool. You definitely seem to be... Uh meeting them which yeah. is great sleep what's mm-hmm. sleep what does sleep look like for Nancy do you have a solid eight hours every night or yeah, is there is patterns I, I do love sleeping and sleeping is a great thing it's just my I guess my schedule changes so much that it's not that I'm up early every morning a lot of the time I work better late at night um, with less distractions and so on so I'm getting better at making sure that you know I'm trying to get into a routine of going to sleep at a decent hour and getting up at a decent hour um but again, because my brain will just start firing a lot of the time at night time I go to bed and then 
I'm picking up the phone every 20 minutes with ideas to email to myself. What I have started doing though, and I will give this advice to anyone who can't sleep, is listening to the Wind and the Willows audiobook. Okay. It's unreal. I've done listened to all the hypnosis and I've listened to all the meditation right. clips and so on. Wind and the Willows, I put on maybe the last 15 minutes of it and then I'm asleep. And but the reason I'm doing it is because the newer studies are showing that um, obviously there's a lot of relaxation music that's made spe- uh, specifically for dogs with mm. certain instruments and so on and that's all been scientifically tested but now the newer studies are starting to show that audiobooks are better for calming dogs down and when you're leaving the house don't leave on Lyric FM put on an audiobook yeah. so of course I became the guinea pig for the dogs and it's amazing so it's wind in the willows all the way and just even sleep question about dogs so dogs are meant an adult dog is meant to sleep for 17 to 20 hours a day so wow. that's not a good thing to tell people Jeez. when you're trying to run a doggy daycare it's not <laughs> dog hours now day. it's do- human yeah. hours though, and I guess so, yeah. they're not sleeping as deeply as we would sleep then either um, sleep is massively important for dogs especially with stressed dogs so that their bodies can recover um, so REM sleep rapid eye movement yeah. sleep that's what they, they need to get into that sleep state to help their bodies shut down and recover and with stressed dogs who as I said, are living in war zones, a lot of the time they don't get to sleep properly because their bodies are still on edge. So, you know, there's a little noise outside and they're up again barking and so on. So mm. sleep's important for dogs. Just like yeah. it is for us. Well. And sleeping on the bed is perfectly fine for dogs. Again, that's a myth that your dog isn't allowed to sleep on the bed because it'll try and dominate you and take over the world. It's based on nothing factually. Dogs are more than allowed to sleep on the bed if you're happy with the dog sleeping on the bed. Obviously, from, I guess, an allergies and a, and, a, and a health point of view as well, it's good for kids and good for people to be around pets. Um, and they like it, so... Cool. I give you the okay to put pets on beds. It's <laughs> a good one to take away. Um, who, who's the best in the world at what you do? Or, or, you know, is there kind of a... Someone you would admire in that in the, the dog world. Karen Overall, the lady that I was saying, oh, she, yeah. so when she emailed me back, I emailed all my friends and Karen Overall just emailed me. She is literally the god of the industry. I've seen her speak twice um, and I've gone over it again to see another seminar that she's doing in September. So she's a veterinary behaviorist. So what I love about her is it's full-on nitty-gritty science when you go to her seminars so we're going into basically like breaking down cells and all this kind of stuff um and she doesn't um fluff anything up she doesn't make anything easier for the general public because her seminars a lot of the time are targeted at um at vets and at certified behaviors she has a book um her manual of clinical behavior cats and dogs and when i got that book years ago i used to hug the book and i have a friend who's a vet and I, she borrowed the book off me for a little while she's like i don't want to give you back this book God. she's um she's she's my hero and when i went to see her speak the last time she was just talking about her own dogs and she got choked up and started crying up on the wow. stage about her own dogs and i'm like she's she's in my corner you know she's someone that's mad about dogs who's continually makes this industry so much better a lot of the research that that i use and that the industry uses she has done that research she has done a lot of research for the military in in the states she's done a lot of research for pharmaceutical companies and she's basically the god of the industry there's a lot of them up there there's a lot of this ian dunbar who started the whole dog behavior field and he's a veterinary behaviorist as well and there's a lot of people up there with phds and 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 you know teaching backgrounds and so on that are leading experts and it's brilliant at the moment because there's a load of them out there but Karen overall is definitely my number one cool and I had a question about what your favourite book is but I think you've kind of answered that one um, based on on, on that the uh, only problem uh, is though like that book is brilliant and I use it the whole time I don't have time to read books anymore I have another great book I need to read so um, so educationally that's why I go with the DVDs yeah. quicker get yeah. the information I, they're quick and I easy I would be into the audio books I find it, it they're, they're great yeah. it's difficult though from 
attention perspective yes. because you're listening to it and then you're finding yourself you have to go to, back yeah. 15 seconds later because your mind got gone elsewhere at least with a physical book you're, yeah. you're staring at it uh, two final ones you talked about hard work and passion obviously are two core values i'd imagine mm-hmm. that you live by what, what other ones would you say really stand out that uh kind of form your identity I suppose if you want to say it I, that I said the positive attitude earlier and I guess that's really important to me because um, without a positive attitude life is terrible I mean life is either glass half full or half empty and I think it's your outlook on life so I definitely have found that I have surrounded myself with people with really positive attitudes hard workers passionate about learning and, and passionate about doing stuff I'm very anti-gossip anti-bitching anti-judging people anti making assumptions I'm very much look everybody is who they are for whatever reason they are Mm. Um, and then I guess having that positive attitude helps me shake things off so I guess I really value that as a a fundamental element of other people then as well so so glass half full all the way no I like it and then maybe finally success so would you consider yourself successful so far definitely and what what does success (laughs) and that's a positive outlook right so what does success look like and, and maybe when you think of success, is there, is there somebody that jumps into mind? I suppose what a vision or image comes up when you think about that? Um, I guess making a difference for me. Like, I'm not a money person at all. I don't value money. I don't, I don't consider myself successful for financial reasons. I yeah. think success is being able to make a difference. And, like, when I see customers coming in to collect their dogs who's at a fun day at school, like, that's success for me. The fact that people show up and want to listen to me. The fact that people... Um, people's dogs have a better life after they come and spend time with us like that's what success to me and I guess because back in the day when I was a smallie and this is what I wanted to grow up and work with dogs like every day I do turn around and look at the place and kind of smile to myself I kind of laugh at myself because I'm like hey look at what you're doing do you know and I am really proud of how much I've achieved and 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 the fact that I'm not finished you know the fact that I know there's so many more goals and so much more that I can achieve Mm. but definitely like I'm really proud of everything I've done because it's hard work and I'm doing it, you know, and I know the, the sacrifice that goes into to working the way that I do. Um, and, and it is successful because it's working, you know, yeah. the services that we're offering, people want, the work that we do with the dogs, pe- dogs are helped. So, yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Making a difference is uh, pretty much exactly what Lisa said yesterday oh, really as good. well. I think you should meet up with uh, really? Lisa. Really? Yeah, she's a Cork City fan, so definitely. Cork City fan, you'd have a lot of similar mindsets and, uh, and value systems. So, so that's great. Look, we're up at about 55 minutes, believe it or not. Time flies, uh, as I always say, when these are, are near the end. How could people get in touch with Nancy, with the, you know, give the yourself a bit of a plug here? And <laughs> uh, so my website is nancycreden.ie. Uh, on Facebook, my business page is Nancy Creden Dog Behaviorist, and then on Twitter, Nancy Creden underscore DB. Um, and then, yeah, so if people are looking for advice or anything like that, just get in touch and we'll see what we can do. Perfect. Nancy, thanks very much. Uh, I was delighted to come here today and uh, the dogs barking in the background <laughs> certainly gave a brilliant backdrop to the whole interview. It's inevitable. Uh, <laughs> um, look, thanks so much and have a, have a great rest of the day. Great, thank you. Hey folks, you got to the end of another show. Thank you for persisting. I hope you enjoyed it as much as the others. So I'm just going to put a quick shout out for feedback. You can get in touch with me through the site. You can get in touch through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's all on the robofthegreen.ie site and you can take it from there. Also, I'd love 
if you listen to on iTunes, leave a comment, give us a score out of five on the stars that are so much commonplace these days. I would really appreciate that if you did it. Whether it's good or bad, I can certainly take that. We'll, we'll make some improvements as we go. And yeah, I, I'll keep it short. I hope you enjoyed and I look forward to having you back for some more 1% Better podcasts in the future. Thank you and good luck.